Hey, welcome to Woman Birders Happy Hour. I'm your host and mixologist, Hannah Bushert. I'm a birder, a woman, and someone who enjoys a good drink. Join me as I talk to women from around the world, from all walks of life, that enjoy birds too, about their experiences, what it's like to be a woman birder, and advice they have for others. I'll also have a different cocktail to share with you that pairs nicely with this chat. Just a brief announcement, um, coming up soon is the Global Bird Weekend. It's actually October 17th and 18th. And the COA Women in Step, uh, the Champions of the Flyway team that I was uh, slated to be a part of and it looks like we're going to do next year instead, we are going to be participating and we want all women of the world to join us. So check out globalbirding.org to register yourself because you can win some awesome prizes. Uh, but also on that day, October 17th, please go out and bird and share your bird list with the Women in Step. And you can check out our Facebook page, which is Women in Step, to find out more about how to do that. And uh, yeah, share it with WIS Global, Women in Step Global. We invite women from all over the world to join us. Let's bird together, have some fun, and show some woman power. I've admired Cheryl online through the World Girl Birder pa Facebook page for quite some time, and that's probably a Facebook page that I mention all too often, so I apologize for that. Um, and then I was lucky enough to meet her in real life at the San Diego Birding Festival this last February. And she suggested prior to the festival that all the world girl birders wear a ribbon on their name tag so we have an easy way of recognizing each other. And that simple suggestion made me feel like I was surrounded by friends at a festival where I really didn't know anyone. And that one little thing helped uh, drive me to create this show. And at that festival, I put together a few women birder happy hours, and I was really excited that Cheryl showed up and we had a great conversation with a, a handful of other women about the community and about women in the community and what issues we face. And I really, I put that happy hour together because after the Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival, I received a message from a listener who had attended the Rio Grande Valley Birding Festival alone, and she felt alone in the evenings at dinner time. You know, every, everybody kind of disperses after the field trips and after walking through the expo. And if you don't have somebody with you or if you haven't, you know, made friends... It, it might be kind of a lonely place in the evening to go back to your hotel room and, you know, eat whatever takeout that you, you go to or, you know, go to Chewy's by yourself or something like that. And um, at the last day of the festival, she met somebody on a field trip and they got to know each other a little bit. And so she went out to dinner with her new friend the last day of the festival, which really changed her, um, her experience. So I think with Cheryl's simple suggestion of everyone putting, you know, a ribbon on their name tag really could do a lot um, for other people who are at these festivals, maybe by themselves or just would like to meet new people. Um, and it's something that I definitely will encourage at, at future events that I go to, as well as continuing the Women Birder Happy Hours. So we can get a chance to get together and, and chat and, you know, feel comfortable um, talking about some of these issues. So I definitely hope to put some of those together again when we're able to go back to festivals. Cheryl's positivity and passion are just inspiring and I feel like I've known her forever, even though we've only really been connecting these past few months. 
And during her interview, Cheryl mentions having seen a superb fairy wren, and I just can pass up that opportunity. <laughs> this species is common across southeastern Australia, and you have to take a look. Can you imagine having this beautiful species described as common in your area? I would, yeah, I'd love that. I have white crowned sparrows, <laughs> which I guess are beautiful, but nothing like this. And there's a high degree of sexual dimorphism, meaning that males and females have different coloration. Females have a brown back, gray undersides, and a red patch between their eye and their bill. Males have a bright blue forehead, ear coverts, mantle, and, a, and tail, and they have a black mask and a dark blue throat. These species are socially monogamous and sexually promiscuous, which means that they form pairs, but each partner will mate with other individuals and even help raise those young from those other pairings. And in courtship, males, male wrens will pluck yellow petals and display them to females, which will show, you know, a pre very pretty contrast between their plumage. And they're found anywhere in the range that has a little dense undergrowth, which includes domestic gardens, woodlands, forests, and grasslands. And they're insectivores, but they might also eat seeds. William Anderson, who was a naturalist on uh, Captain Cook voyage to Tasmania, collected and described the species. However, it was long known by the Aboriginal people of this area. And as such, it has gone through so many name changes. Um, the Aboriginal names translate to little one of the lingnum bush and little bird with long tail. And then, you know, of course, the, the voyagers that came named it Superb Warbler, Mormon Warbler, and most recently Superb Fairy Wren, although it does go by a number of um, local names. And here is your Superb Fairy Wren. It starts off with half of a cup of lemonade, one ounce rum, a splash of blue curacao, a quarter cup ginger beer, just like a tablespoon or so of grenadine, ice, and lemon. And this can be made as a mocktail by leaving out the rum and using Monin Blue Curacao, which uh, is, as I read, is non-alcoholic. So it's pretty easy to make. Um, just I used a, like a rocks glass, like a tumbler kind of glass, and filled it with ice and then poured in the lemonade, the Blue Curacao, rum, ginger beer. And then I slowly poured in the grenadine so it sank to the bottom and then garnish it with a lemon slice. And after speaking with Cheryl about biases and birding, I realized that I've probably been focusing a little too much on the males for making my cocktails. So this drink has a shout out to both. Um, the males, obviously, with the brilliant blue. Females have that little patch of red between their eyes and their bills. So, you know, hence the grenadine. And the yellow of the lemon and the lemonade represents the yellow petals, which the males use to court the females. And that ginger beer in there... Um, as I read, a lot of uh, Australian cocktails include ginger beer. So please enjoy this superb fairy run. So grab whatever you've got to drink, whether it's this cocktail that we've made for this episode, coffee, wine, water, or something else, for another interview with an amazing woman birder. I hope it inspires you. I hope it educates you. And I hope that it helps us work together to build an even better birding community that's supportive and accepting of all. And please enjoy this happy hour. Well, Cheryl, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of uh, Women Birders Happy Hour. Please uh, introduce yourself and tell us about you. Well, thanks so much, Hannah. It's a delight to be here with you. 
Um, I live in Maryland, not exactly known for all the great birding, but we have fabulous birds here, I have discovered, especially in the times of COVID, I have discovered how many species I can see in my state. Um, we go from the Appalachian Mountains to the, to the sea, um, to the Atlantic Ocean, so we could get all kinds of species. Um, I started birding um, when I, well, let me think about this. Uh, you might ask, what do you do for a living, Cheryl? I'm a writer. I write for a scientific uh, society in, based in Washington, D.C., and I write about pollution, which isn't the most exciting thing to many people, and it can be a kind of a bummer drag, um, but that's what I do. I think it's really important work to tell people about what's in their environment that they can't see pretty much. So you don't write about birds, do you? Um, other than birds and pollution, do you? Yeah, not yet. <laughs> I'll put it that way. Hopefully so. So how did you get started birding? It's like a number of guests on your podcast. I was in college and I was a biology major, although I always planned to be a journalist. Nobody gave me really good advice about what I should do. So I was a biology major and I took all the botany classes because I didn't like competing with the pre-med people who were, you know, oh, I've got to get straight A's to get into med school. And I'm like, going, <laughs> oh, man, I, I don't want to memorize everything and have to just, you know, vomit that out onto a test. And then my advisor said, you know, Cheryl, you have to take a zoology class to graduate. Oh, man, what was I going to do? <laughs> so said, why don't you take entomology? I thought, okay, plants and bugs. Then my friend Terry says, she comes up to me and says, Hogue, Hogue, you got to take ornithology with me. I'm like going, really? And she goes, yeah. She says, Dr. Bird's teaching it. And he's a really good professor. And this was Dr. Bird with a Y, B-Y-R-D. And so I said, okay. Um, I always like biology classes because you had labs and you didn't have to write a lot of papers. Believe it or not, I didn't want to write a lot of papers. So, <laughs> so instead, I had to figure out how to get up early because I wasn't much of an early bird. And I, I caught the bug, just like everybody else who first starts looking at things and go, oh, no, they're not all just little brown jobs and crows. Mm. It was really exciting. Um, and then my class ended and I had no binoculars. So did you go out and get yourself some? Well, here's the story of my binoculars. I had been um, kind of hitting around to my parents about getting a pair of binoculars, but they didn't know anything about binoculars. They, my dad had an old pair he used for hunting, and they were awful. I couldn't use them. I know now that, you know, they were out of kilter. One lens was focused one way and one was the other, and it couldn't be fixed. They were crappy little binoculars. Well, somehow word got to my sister who lived in California and um, I was planning to go to Florida my senior year, Florida for spring break. I'd never been to Florida for spring break. And the day before I went to the, the post office and there was a little slip in my mailbox and it says, you have a package, Cheryl. And I'm like, wow, who sent me a package? So 
and went and got my package, brought it home to my dorm, and I unwrapped it. And it was a pair of binoculars. The day before, I was set to go to Florida. We went to Key West and to the Everglades. Wow. And so I had this, like, they were Bushnell Instafocus 7x35s. They lasted me for the next 10 years. I saw a lot of lifeless uh, life listers with those that pair of kind of basic binoculars. But that was so exciting. It was one of the best gifts I've ever gotten. Well, that's amazing. So um, so you write about pollution in your, your career and everything, mm-hmm. and you go out and, and see birds. So um, do you enjoy, you know, playing games or listening to podcasts or watching documentaries? What other sorts of bird-related things do you like doing? I like leading bird trips. Um, I've started to do that with my local club, and I really enjoy that. I like especially working with beginners because there's such a sense of awe and we need to get more people out practicing awe so they can appreciate birds and nature and then value them, pass it on to others. So, uh, but what else do I do? I'm taking a, in these days of COVID, I am taking a a class on sparrow identification at Cornell (laughs) and I'm reading a bunch of books. Oh, okay. So are they bird-related books then? Mainly. Um, I have been reading, um, I'm currently in a couple of books right now. One is by Pete Dunn, who is really funny and a a good writer who's been around for a long time. And the other one is by John C. Robinson. I don't know if you're familiar with his book. It's Birding is for Everyone. And it's encouraging people of color to become bird watchers. I heard about this book, I don't know, sometime at the end of last year, and I bought this. Um, And now, of course, with the whole Black Birders Week and everything, John C. Robinson has has, uh, been, and his book have been, I don't want to say resurrected, but they, with, with Black Birders Week, John C. Robinson and his book and his whole encouragement of getting people of color to become birders uh, has really come back to the fore. And it's very exciting to, to see that. And, you know, his book is a little dated. It was published in 2008, but he makes some interesting points that I haven't seen in other books about just about birding. And one of them is about making a network of friends. Hmm. I thought that was really fantastic. And I think that especially women birders, can understand that and take that and run with it. That's interesting because um, are, are you familiar with the birding co-op? Yes, I am familiar with the birding co-op. So um, we just, we're doing these birder cafes with the birding co-op and it's an opportunity for everybody to get together once a month and like talk about a topic and talk about an issue mm-hmm. and, you know, kind of hash it out and like what we can do to be better. And this month um, we're talking about finding your community. And so that is very apt. And I'm going to have to look up his book because that that would have been the perfect resource. (laughs) Well, it's one of them. And I think we need to, we women birders also need to come up with resources like that. I think it's fascinating how you and I met, which was through World Girl Birders on Facebook. And then we met in real life at the San Diego Birding Festival, which happened just before COVID. And the reason we recognize each other is that we put little ribbons around our our name tags, which was just a simple way to do it. But 
that it was so great to connect with women like that. And, and to know just from this online community and from the work that you're doing, that we can connect with each other, even if we don't see each other in real life. And, you know, meeting you and having the, um, the hangout that we did, that's one of the things that helped inspire this show. It's because it was just so much fun to sit down with you all and talk about, you know, women's issues and birding and what we can do to, you know, find our place in the community. Yeah. And one of the places I hope that women can find their, their place in the birding community is in books. I will tell you, I have been reading a lot of books on birding and a lot of the stories I read are by white guys about white guys where only white guys are named or almost only white guys are named. And that gets to be a drag. I don't see myself in this literature and it even comes over into our field guides um, and other things. Uh, one of the things I just realized about on eBird is like, if you want to put eBird is very logical. Um, it may not make sense when they change the phylogenic order of birds, but there's a logic to it. And I was so disappointed to realize that if you're going to sex a bird, it's not in alphabetical order. Males hmm. are first and female really? comes before that. And I went, oh my God, this was a decision made by a guy. It's just an unconscious bias. It's there. I have my own unconscious biases. So I'm not going to say I'm perfect, but that was very blatant to me. Um, you know, and it's also just in the descriptions, I've been reading field guides with new eyes now. And it's always like the female is duller or unlike the male, the female doesn't, or the female doesn't have this, the male has. And that's really making the females into a second sex. Hmm. Um, at, rather than describing the females on their own or in neutral terms. Duller is not a really nice word. You can say, I, I talked to an artist friend who didn't know this and she was telling me, oh, that one has a more saturated hue or something technical like that that doesn't have a, uh, a bias involved in it. I thought that was really helpful to, to rethink some of the descriptions. Um, and, yeah. and then there's the things like, you know, I don't know how many people recognize this, but David Sibley, uh, when he made his bird guides, he specifically put the females first. Hmm. So he made an intentional change on that. I got to give him props, but I want to know about the field guides that are written by women or, yeah. you know, so there's opportunity here, ladies. Uh, and I, I think we can seize that. I'm going to have to go down and look at all my field guides <laughs> now to see. <laughs> so um, what is your most memorable bird? Wow. That was a tough question. And I'd have to say it might be a tie between the superb fairy wren that I saw in Queensland, Australia. They're fabulous. And what a great name, the superb fairy wren. <laughs> um, or uh, a, a bird, I remember it was, it was a bird when I didn't have binoculars. I'd finished class and I turned in my binoculars and I saw this, I thought it was a really big bird the base of a tree on campus and it was it was kind of brown and barred on the back but it had this big red patch on the back and this long bill and it made 
an exotic noise. And I kind of sat there and memorized it. I didn't move. And I'm thinking, you have to remember all these field marks. And I looked through my field guide when I got back to my dorm. And it was a northern flicker. Oh, they're a gorgeous bird. Oh, they were. And I'd never seen one. It was like, I saw something that exotic, you know, (laughs) just on the corner of the campus. It was pretty amazing. (laughs) So you can pick either one of those. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's really cool. I I know I get really excited every time I see a flicker, especially on the ground, because you don't normally get to see, you know, such a large bird just like sitting on the ground pecking at your grass. Yeah. Eating ants. This is a good thing. (laughs) So do you feel that you found your place in the birding community? I'll say not yet. It's interesting because for, although I've been a birder for 35 years, I really didn't get into the birding community until about maybe five five years ago. Uh, I joined a bird club. You know, with my work, I can't join Audubon because I write about them when they um, like sue the Environmental Protection Agency, and that would be a conflict of interest on my part. So I've been, you know, kind of lone wolf doing this. I've had a couple of friends here and again that we'd go out. Um, and then I joined a bird club, and I was struggling to become part of that community too, because you, you're, I've joined a group of, we'll maybe say 100 really active people, and they know each other. And mm-hmm. I was the newbie. Another thing is a lot of them, of course, are retirees. And I, I work. They might want to go out on Wednesday. And I can't do it. Um, the other thing is, I, there are a number of guys who work. And they're always chasing rarities. And I have not figured it out. How do they do oh. that? You know, a, a lot of women have kids. Who takes care of them? And who takes care of the, the guys chasing the rarities kids. I don't know. And I want to get into people's relationships because people make it work. But I always found that to be curious. Yeah, you know, I've thought about that a lot too. I'm friends with a lot of people on Facebook that are constantly here, constantly there. But I always think like, do they not have a job? Like, how do they afford to drive across the country to go do this? (laughs) But, you know, a lot of them are younger and they've sacrificed not having families in some cases because you know they want to go birding which is their prerogative I guess that's what they want to do that's right and uh, I mean one of the things that I learned from uh, a black birder who is a lesbian uh, at a birder festival is that you know she was kind of turned off by all the equipment that people had uh she approached me because I was wearing sneakers out in a marshy area. I, was, I bought a really nasty old pair of sneakers. I knew I was going to throw them away before I went home. And she was wearing sneakers too. And everybody else has got their fancy boots on, the knee-high boots. And everybody has, has the uniform of, with the, you know, the, the pants with the zip-off legs. And yes, I own them. And the <laughs> floppy hats and you know the, the, the uh, travel shirts. And she goes... I don't know that I could afford all that stuff. She says, I was so glad to see somebody else who didn't have, have, have the big tall fancy boots that I can't afford. Um, and later she and her partner actually asked me to go to lunch with them because we were in Florida and 
there were a lot of pickup trucks and she was afraid that they were going to be harassed by people in Florida. And I'm like going, you know, honey, we're going to go to this diner over here and nobody's not going to, nobody's going to pay us any mind. Now she probably was one of the two people of color in that diner, but people didn't care. Um, but I understand how scary that can be. And I want to make, I want to make birding a better place for all kinds of people. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, the Feminist Bird Club is working on that issue as well, too. Yeah, I think that's a great charge. You know, everybody should be able to go out and go birding and, and feel safe doing it. Yeah, and being safe, being able to go out to lunch afterwards, too, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, but you know, I'm saying it, she was also pointing out some class issues that maybe birding has as well, too, you know. Do I have to have a $2,000 pair of binoculars? Do I have to have an expensive spotting scope and tripod? Well, no, you don't. They're nice, but um, it's burning is for everybody, as John C. Robinson says. So um, in this time of COVID, do you see uh, opportunities for women birders? Yes. We can get people out practicing awe. We can get our girlfriends out and, you know, f physically distance and be socially active. Uh, I've, I've done that. It, my local bird club has started doing uh, walks again. We have a maximum of six people. I don't know why, who picked six, but that's the thing. And everybody must, must wear a mask at all times. And we ask people to physically distance. And it seems to have been working. So let's- And our people- yeah, go ahead. Are, are people happy to be out and like, you know, being able to engage with each other? They're thrilled about that. It's a real, I feel like it's a real connection need both to nature and to other birders. So even if we do this informally, I think it's really important um, to do that. You know, call up somebody you know who's a birder, drop them a text, see what you can do and connect that way. So what advice would you have for other women who are already birding or maybe looking to start bird? Wow. Don't be put off by the snobby people who tell you that you're wrong or that your binoculars aren't very good or that you need to go here or there. Um, go out and enjoy it because this is about something to be enjoyed and give you joy. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Cheryl. Do you have any um, other things you'd like to say in the last few minutes? Hannah, I love your podcast. Keep doing it. And I hope you get a bunch more women. Can't wait to hear from them. Well, thank you so much, Cheryl. I really appreciate it. Okay, great. Thanks. Cheryl's passion for inclusion is infectious. Not only does she look for ways in which to promote women in birding, she also wants a community of birders to be as diverse as the birds we watch. She's opened up my eyes in so many ways in which authors display biases in their field guides and their writing, something that I had really never considered. And afterwards, I checked my Sibley guide and was just absolutely enthralled to see how it was laid out. I, I ran into the office and I was showing Eric, like, look where the females are and where the males are. Just something that I totally never would have thought of. 
And so thank you, Cheryl, for, you know, joining me for this episode and, you know, bringing all of these things to light that I might not have ever realized before. I'm so glad that you're out there, you know, considering the ways in which we can include more diversity into the burning community. And it was just a super joy to talk to you. And I hope to connect with you at festivals in person and online like we have been doing. And thank you all to, for listening to my podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Maybe learned something. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music, and anywhere else you listen to me. If you'd like to connect with me on the socials, please follow me at Hannah Goes Burning on Instagram. My Twitter is at WomenBirdersHH, or you can email me at WomenBirders at gmail.com. I also have resources and information on GoBirdingPodcast.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to seeing you at the next happy hour.